there's a guy here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? I know it's kind of a weird time, but I was just wondering, um, what is going to happen to us on Monday when we're all together again? I mean, I consider you guys my friends. I'm not wrong, am I? No. So, so on Monday, what happens? Are we still friends, you mean? We're friends now, that is? Yeah. Do you want the truth? Yeah, I want the truth. I don't think so. It's too cold. Human beings don't change. It's all over. You stay here, you will be dead in six months. There may be a world up there where you can make a difference and protect Riley. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I plan to be watching uh, one of two things, oh yeah, two things, this 4th of July weekend. First is uh, the new Penny Dreadful season called Penny Dreadful City of Angels, um, set in America as well as This Is Love on Vimeo, Vimeo On Demand. I'm Laura Sampson, and like you, Marcus, I am really looking forward to having the pleasure of seeing This Is Love, the Rudy Love documentary on Vimeo Pro. It's available Saturday and Sunday, but, and then not again until the next festival, so get in there. It's a brilliant documentary. And another documentary which is a little bit more um, harrowing in subject matter, also about Injustice Athlete A, one of the new kind of expose documentaries about sexual abuse in gymnastics this time. So, so yeah, it's going to be uh, it's going to be an interesting weekend of lots of different emotions. I am producer Dave, and this weekend, Fourth of July weekend, I will probably take in the This Is Love documentary again because it is great and it's available this weekend. I also plan to watch uh, the Five Bloods completely watch that and watch another episode of a new well a series new to me which is called 13 reasons why it's kind of harrowing but very very well done so yeah that's what the 4th of july is going to be for me yeah i've, I've heard of uh, 13 reasons why on netflix i still haven't gotten the chance to watch it but i have watched five bloods uh, laura have you watched five bloods i have excellent so we're going to use next week as an opportunity to talk about the, uh, the five bloods spike lee's the five bloods and if you've noticed the three of us are talking about this is love which was on last week's show uh, john alexander and jc guest were the filmmakers who talked about the the amazing soul that is rudy love soul singer in america this is love is on vimeo thank you laura you said the vimeo pro right not vimeo on demand it's the same vimeo pro is a sort of video on demand service that vimeo provides for its filmmakers 
um, it doesn't charge too much, that kind of thing. Exactly. And if you want to check on uh, This Is Love Film on Instagram, they're going to have mo- a lot of details on now. We'll also post on Instagram as well this week just to push that. We're keeping this intro really concise because we have two great filmmakers talking about their films on this week's episode. We have Alistair Mackay talking about his film Anonymous, and we have the ever-prolific filmmaker Tom Payton coming in to talk about the Ascent premiere, G-Lock, and his film 400 Bullets. So without any further ado, let's jump into film and TV news. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and joining me is the writer-director of the film that's currently in pre-production, Anonymous. Please tell us your name and what Anonymous is all about. Hi, Marcus. My name's Alastair Mackay. Uh, and as you say, I'm the writer-director of uh, Anonymous, which is a film about addiction recovery. And the important, the important distinction there is this addiction recovery more than addiction. A lot of movies have been made about addiction and the demonic side of it. We want to make a movie that's see the positive side and creates heroes of the people that are in recovery. So that's what it's about. So basically it's, it's all set in one night. So it's about a seemingly average guy that makes the bold step to go to his first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. So the whole film takes place over the course of this first meeting that he goes to by walking through that door for the first time and meeting these, these other people uh, in the room with him uh, for the first time, seeing their lives and, and hearing their stories and how it affects him, basically. Excellent. So it's, it's so you you've got one location. You've got all these people telling their various stories. Do you flash back and uh, go and see their own lives, or is it entirely contained within that? One no, it's way? all contained. It's it's all contained, which was very deliberate because um, we wanted to make it about, like I said, about the recovery. And about that process of, of, I think too many times in, in, in the film industry, uh, it's, it's very easy for producers and movie makers to go down the what's sexy and what sells um, element of let's see the demonic side of addiction. Let's see somebody breaking down. Let's see somebody um, struggling with, with alcohol, struggling with drugs um, and the destruction of a human being in many respects. And what I wanted to do with Anonymous was flip it on its head and say, why do we have to make demons of these people when we can actually make heroes of the people that walk into the room and say, no, no, I can beat this. So that's what we tried to do. I think particularly coming out of lockdown, there's a lot of people um, who struggle with addiction, even more so during the COVID-19 pandemic because they're locked in their houses with these demons. So, so to be able to step out and say, there's a place you can go to find a community of people that want to beat this. And that's the heart and the message of the film. That's excellent. And I do want to come back to the, uh, the relationship between lockdown and, uh, and addiction because, uh, you know, a lot of the films that we've been, in, we've been talking about, a lot of the conversations we've been having has all been influenced and colored by COVID-19 and the lockdown. So I do want to come back to that in a second, but I want to focus a little bit on the, uh, on the film, not necessarily the plot itself, uh, because uh, from your description of the movie, it's it's it, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued because it sort of reminds me of other types of uh, films that are that have sort of a theatrical feel about it. 
Twelve Angry Men is one of my favorite films of all time. Mm-hmm. And it's sim- in a, in not it's not similar, but it's similar structure where it's basically yeah. 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 So they're all structured um, in one room and it's all theatrical. So is that are you bringing something like that to uh, to this particular film, or are you trying to look at it from a different point of view? I think you're pretty close. Funnily enough, um, my wife and I were watching The Breakfast Club uh, last night, which is another one, which which is an iconic film, which is set in one space. And it's about the characters in the room, uh, and over the course of the of the of the piece, it's almost like a play, but obviously it has to have that cinematic film quality to it as well. So maybe our biggest challenge actually is going to be in the way that we shoot it and the way that we light it to 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 create the mood that that, that supports the message and uh, and makes it cinematic. But we've got ideas about that. So. And the fact, it's as you're a writer, you, this is basically your dream job, right? This is the uh, the dream project where it's literally you're not you, you can obviously work action into it and whatnot, but there's not much room for you to do action. So it's essentially a lot about character demonstration through uh, dialogue and interaction. So yeah, it's yeah. A, so and as as the writer of this, how long did it take you to come up with this idea? and work it through from beginning to the point where you're currently at. Do you know what? It was surprisingly quick. Um, uh, the idea was sort of floating in the back of my mind for a couple of months. And it was always a sort of an idea for a film that I'd quite like to make at some point, but didn't really know how to, to, to manifest it. And then when lockdown happened, and like a lot of people in the industry, my income for the foreseeable future just vanished. It was literally sitting there going, well, now I've got all this time on my hands. Uh, what can I make? And I started thinking about a film that could be made, recognizing the industry was going to be struggling economically coming out of this, that could be made cheaply, that we could even crowdfund for. And uh, and there was that idea of a one location movie. And then it was, oh, what about this addiction idea that I've had? Let me explore that. And then I, I contacted a, uh, a friend of mine who's a recovering cocaine addict, a couple of other people as well, spoke to them about their stories and started to formulate the idea of who these characters in the room were going to be. And then I had the idea of the lead. And then it was like a light bulb going off. It was like, ah, I know what this film is. And, and literally from that point, uh, I started writing the first draft of the script and it happened in one go. And it wasn't one sitting, because you know, it's, I don't think it's, it's practical to sit and write 90 pages in, in one hit, but um, I didn't stop and I didn't sort of have to go back over it. Got to the end of it, maybe in two, two weeks from the, uh, the concept of writing the film to the finished first draft, did a table read over Zoom and read really well. And then it was literally like an uh, uncaging animal from there on. It's just been momentum, 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 building up the production team. We've got producers in LA. We've had contributors from Singapore, New Zealand, Australia, Ohio, all over the UK, France. So literally the, the, the message is, is obviously appealing and, and people are really, really keen to get behind it. Yes, and in fact, speaking of the producers that you've got on board, Blake Ryder is one of the producers that you have. Uh, who, yeah, Blake Ryder. Yeah. Please let, let Ryder. Sorry, uh, please let him know. I still have him in the back of my mind because we talked almost about a year ago. I was trying to get him on the show, but we just oh, haven't cool. done it yet. So um, let him know that I'm going to try and reach out to him soon, so we can try and sort something out and uh, maybe talk more about this project. Um, yeah, absolutely. So you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako, and I'm here with writer, director, producer, Alistair, uh, is it Mackay or McKay? 
It's Mackay. Mackay. I, I get it both. So it's fine. I will I will call you by what you prefer, which is Alistair Mackay. I'll just say Alistair. It's fine. Uh, Alistair <laughs> is here to talk about uh, a film that he's currently working on, currently in pre-production, which is Anonymous, which is about uh, is about addiction. Uh, in, in it is it's so far seems to fall within the same sort of themes as Breakfast Club and Twelve Angry Men, where it's an it's one is an isolated. Uh, location or it's a lockdown location appeals very much to me. I'd be I, I love films that is a there's a lot of just dialogue. Um, I know mm. it, it can it can be splitting sometimes, but as a writer myself, that's why I, I love focusing on just basically the interaction between people. So I'd love to hear more about the project. Now mm. uh, I mentioned that I wanted to talk about lockdown and addiction before we move back into this film and the work that you're doing. Uh, so what have you found uh, during your research for this particular piece? has been the major effect that the COVID-19 lockdown has had on addiction. Oh, wow. I mean, it's been massive. Uh, uh, people, have, uh, in fact, the, the very guy that I first came to to ask about his uh, cocaine addiction and his recovery from his cocaine addiction, he actually had a relapse about three weeks, three, four weeks into lockdown. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, obviously that's heartbreaking, but uh, he's, not, he's not the only person that I've, I've found out about since then um because addicts are shut inside their houses with their demons and they don't have anywhere to go out and express themselves anywhere to go there's, 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 their sense of normality has been taken away and i think addicts rely like a lot of us on the sense of normality and the structure that's put into their daily lives and that's been taken away so it's incredibly hard another thing that happened in fact on the same day but I found out about my friend who'd had that relapse. I was in the corner shop getting my, my milk and my bread and my eggs. Um, and, and there was a guy the, the, in there. The, the essentials, yeah. Yes, absolutely, yeah. And there was a guy in there um, unpacking, is the best way to describe it, a, a basket of bottles of vodka and cans of lager. And he had this, this expression on his face like he knew that his lockdown was going to be him in his house getting wasted with nobody to judge him and nobody to tell him it's not okay. Um, and that was how he was going to get through. So I think it's, it, it's very, very real. It's a very real threat. And I think people are going to be coming out of lockdown if they weren't, some people who weren't addicts that suddenly are, and it's going to be a bigger problem for us as a society. That being said, the existing structures of the 12 steps program and, and recovery meetings, uh, they exist and they are proven to be successful for a lot of people. And all we want to do really as a society is to be able to remind people that they're not alone, even though it feels like they're alone in lockdown, um, that there are other people going through what they're going through, again, even though it feels like that's not the case, and that there is a way out. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm talking with the writer-director of the film Anonymous, which is currently in pre-production, uh, Alistair Mackay. Uh, now, Alistair, uh, coming back to Anonymous, as we said, you're in pre-production at the moment, and obviously we know that the lockdown has slowed down various processes for you to get yeah. a project up and running. At what stage are you currently at with the project, and when would you expect, seeing as the way things are going, I know there are talks of, um, of lifting the lockdown from July 4th, mm. etc., but just keeping it not necessarily pessimistic or optimistic, or rather, let's, let's go optimistic. Where do you see uh, the project? What do you see the timeline of the project 
for us to be able to see the final outcome? Yeah, uh, optimistically, we were always aiming to shoot in August. Um, in theory, we're still on target for that. One of the biggest problems we've got is, is we haven't been able to physically get into the location to see it. And then you can't do shot lists and you can't do this. We're still casting. We've still got some, a little bit of casting to do. Uh, we're still raising money, which is an ongoing process. Uh, but we're still confident within all that that we can uh, get everything in place to be able to shoot in August, lockdown permitting. Negatively, maybe maybe September, but we would certainly like to be in the edit suite October, November and look, looking to get it over to festivals in the very end of this year, beginning of 2021, with a view to then getting cinematic uh, global distribution after that. So our, our target is is to do the festival run first because of the way we're shooting the movie and the fact that it's stylistically different to a lot of films these days and, and the fact that it's brave and the fact that it takes risks in certain areas. Uh, we believe that, that, that it's going to have a successful festival run. And obviously that makes, that makes cinematic distribution easier. Of course. So any particular festivals you, you're targeting? Yeah. Um, we had some really good communications with, um, with Raindance uh, and uh, my LA producer wants to look at Sundance. I've had some success in the past in my career and I've always wanted to go to Berlin. Um, so, so those would be some of them, but quite frankly, uh, we want it to reach a global audience. So, you know, we're looking at where our contributors are coming from, where the interest is coming from and going, well, we want the film to be seen in these locations. So London and the UK, but also the States, where we've had a lot of interest, Australia and the Far East as well. Uh, we've had uh, some interest there. So, I think that will define it. We'll, we'll see where the interest is coming from and we'll go, right, we have an audience here that wants to see this film, so we'll get it into a festival uh, in, in, in their area. Okay, so just kind of wrapping up, um, one of the, the, the theme, the main theme, as you said, is addiction. Uh, were there any uh, sort of help groups or uh, communities that you reached out to get information, to get ideas on how to influence your script? Um, that you would like to share with us that we can share to other people who may be interested in finding out how to get help with regards to addiction? We're, we're still working on a few um, partnerships with charities. Uh, I can certainly send you some links um, to some places. Um, uh, we haven't solidified or confirmed a, a partnership with anybody yet. There are loads of places you can go to. And yeah, I did do lots and lots of research. Um, and uh, honestly, the variety of what's available out there is actually quite amazing. Um, whether it's creative writing, uh, whether it's um, sitting a room in a room communing, whether it's meeting over a coffee, um, whatever your your interest is, there's a way of of using that interest to fight your addiction. So it's really great, actually. And what we're trying to do is partner up with lots of smaller, um, specific, uh, engaged charities that people can then look at and almost pick and choose and go, well, I fancy that. So I'll, I'll try that as a way to help myself. Fantastic. Uh, if people want to know more about the film and the progress of the film, uh, how can they reach out in, on social media uh, to be able to find out more about the anonymous? Sure. Uh, so the Instagram page is at anonymous underscore the underscore film. Uh, and you can also find the um, link in my Insta, which is uh, at the Alistair Mackay. Um, and Obviously, the link to the Indiegogo page for the crowdfunding side of things, that's in, in my bio and in the film's bio as well. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Um, we're, we're thinking about going to TikTok, which is a new and exciting world we're stepping into as well. So we're all over the place. 
uh, the teaser trailer came out at five thirty uh, on Monday, just gone the twenty ninth. So you should be able to uh, find a link for that as well um, if you haven't seen it already. Excellent. We'll take all of those um, social media links as well as a link to the trailer, and we'll put it in the show notes for this episode, which. Obviously, people who are listening to this live won't be able to get that, but at least when you download the podcast next Monday, you'll be able to get that. Uh, for. So, Alistair, thank you very much for taking some time out to talk with us today. Uh, we give thank you so much, Marcus. Wish you all the best with, um, with Anonymous and say hello and uh, thank you to Pavinder for connecting us. I absolutely will. Have you heard, have you heard about her project? Uh, yeah. Uh, when did I last speak to her? Um, I think they're ready to shoot. Okay. Uh, so, so they're. Uh, I think they're just looking for for dates, and um, I'm feeling it might be the very end of July that they're filming. Okay. Uh, so it's just putting all the pieces in place now. Excellent. Point. She's a machine. She really is. She's she's incredible. Um, uh, did she tell you the story of of our film, Lovebug? Uh, no, no, she hasn't mentioned Lovebug. Do you want to talk about that now before we before we wrap up? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I could do. Um, it was. Uh, she came to me on a Friday. In it must have been February, and said, "I want to make it." I, we were meeting for something else, and and she came walked into the coffee shop and said, "I've had this idea. I want to make a film. Will you write it and direct it?" And I went, "Well, when do you want to make it?" She said, "Wednesday." <laughs> I said, you "Don't you don't you don't come up with an idea on a Friday and make the film. You've got to get a location. You've got to get a crew together. You've got to get." And she, "I'll do all that." She never produced a film before, and I thought, "Well, this will be a good lesson for her." So I said, yes, okay, if you put the crew together and the cast together and, and, and the props and the locations and all the rest of it, we'll write a little script and, and together and then you let me know. And I thought this, you know, this would be a nice lesson. Tuesday night, I get the phone call. We're all set. See you tomorrow, 10 a.m. And it was, oh, okay, made the film. Um, it's already been to festivals. It's already won awards. Um, it's been on the BBC. Uh, it, she's a machine. Bavinder is uh, unbelievable called love bug we can get you a link to that as well yes absolutely i'd love to i'd love to see that i know the film that she's working on at the moment is phantoms um because mm. uh, she was on the show a few a few weeks ago uh talking about phantoms which uh, which she and she definitely sounded like somebody who has a lot on the plate but is still working <laughs> through um it's sort of your your story about love bug sort of reminds me of uh of dolomite um you know if you remember rudy ray moore yeah. Uh, the same thing where with no experience of filmmaking is literally just saying, yes, let's, let's, let's do this. And then all the experienced yeah. filmmakers are saying, no, you can't just do that. You have to do this and this and this. And it's like, sure. Okay. So as long as you yeah. have that optimism and that drive to do it, Hey, you know, you can achieve That's it. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Alistair, thank you very much for joining us and uh, what we hope to get both yourself and, uh, and uh, Pavinder together in the studio once the lockdown has been fully lifted and we'll hear more about anonymous and I'm looking forward to watching Love Bug. Amazing, man. Thanks a lot. Enjoy yourself. Thank you. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And back in the, I guess I'll call this a Zoom studio, uh, is a, a prolific British filmmaker and friend of the show, Tom Payton, coming to talk, Tom Patton, coming to talk about how the, the plethora of films that he's made since we last spoke. It seems every time we give you a little bit of space and then you come back to talk to us, you've got like three or four different films that you're working on 
at the moment. I, the, the last time we spoke, you talked about Ascent. You briefly mentioned G-Lock and then briefly mentioned 400 Bullets. So I, w- tell us, let, let's, let's start in that order. Let's start with the Ascent. So, well, well, first of all, first of all, Marcus, I, I think I've come on the show that much now. I can see that you you cut you get so confused with my name. You definitely got it. You definitely got it right the first time, Tom Payton. But I, you know, I, because I like you, I always let you get away with it. But I thought, you know, considering it's the fourth time I've been on, <laughs> I, also, I, I also have this conversation with David. It's every night. So we got Tom Payton coming on the call. Is it Tom? Wait, hold on. Is it Tom Payton or Patton? No, it's Payton. Yeah. Are you sure? Because it's spelled different. Yes. You know, I, I, gave up, I gave up being pedantic about that years ago. I was like, this is a battle I'm never going to win, so I'll just be Tom Patton. But considering we're friends now, I, thought, I figured we might as well do it right. <laughs> At least I didn't call you Tommy P, right? I just, I true, true. Like, that Tommy happens. P. That does happen. I okay, yes. <laughs> what do I you want to know? <laughs> I won't do that, I promise. Tom Payton, welcome back to the show. So, uh, let's start with the ascent because you've got tons of stuff that every time you've got you come to talk to us you've got tons of information to give us. Let's start with the ascent which were in some regions is also referred to as black ops. Um, yeah. And you recently did a, a a unique style of premiere for that film. Please tell us all about it. Yeah, so uh, the ascent is my fourth movie. It got retitled as Black Ops in the US and Although I think most of the most of the world is still the ascent. I think it's just America that's that's gone with black ops for some reason. And um, and yeah, the movie obviously came out in the middle of the COVID nineteen uh, lockdown. You know, and and genuinely at that point we were all still really locked down. I think it was like May twelfth. Um, so yeah, we basically were like, well, you know, how do you generate press around an indie movie without the you know the normal premiere and fanfare and all of that? And so. Me and my producing partner, George Burt, came up with um, doing the world's first ever premiere inside virtual reality. So we partnered with uh, Altspace. We had Eric Cohn from IndieWire came and uh, did the intro and stuff. But we essentially did a traditional cinema premiere, except for the cinema just happened to be in virtual reality. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I read an I read an article I read an article recently um, on the experience and I I have never touched VR I've only yeah. seen it in movies so my perception of virtual reality is to say it's flawed is an understatement uh, so can you describe the experience for those people who like myself who have never seen VR what are, what would they expect if they were to have attended that premiere. Yeah, I mean, it's funny because I think when you say virtual reality to people, they assume it's like you're in the middle of the story. And, and, I, and I hate that. Like, I think that is just an appalling way to tell a story. Um, and I think it's why cinema and virtual reality haven't sort of melded together properly at this stage. Because, they, you know, it's, it's been a lot of storytellers trying to exploit the technology for the wrong purposes. Uh, and I think what we realized, and we were, we were the first to do it ever, uh, you know, which is kind of cool for that for, for a film of that scale to be able to say, you know, well, on the Wikipedia page in 20 years when this is the norm, we were the first ones out the gate. Um, we, we just realized, you know, like actually uh, so the social media aspect of virtual reality is what's really interesting. It's, it's sort of there's a, a program called Alt Space and it's very similar to, uh, you know, in Ready Player One when where they all meet at the hub before they go off to the various games. Now, that exactly, is. A, yeah. That's essentially what alt space is. Uh, everybody has their own avatar. People look like all sorts of crazy creations, uh, and we'll meet at campfires or house part virtual house parties and just talk. 
and just interact. And, and we realized, actually, we could build a virtual reality cinema inside Altspace. And, and the Altspace team from Microsoft loved the idea, came on board, helped me and George get this thing done. And um, yeah, the experience of it is you would uh, arrive at the cinema by portaling in from your home screen. You know, you use your avatar. You walk the red carpet. We had a photo board because you can take selfies in virtual reality of you and your avatar. That's and you, li you literally walk in and take your seat. And this is just a normal cinema screen, you know, and because of the way virtual reality works, it really does appear to be a giant cinema screen. And you just sit in the crowd with everybody else. And, you know, you can see all the other people watching the movie. It's a very traditional cinema experience in that respect. Um, we did a Q&A. We were on the stage. The audience were watching us. I then went to the back of the virtual cinema to watch the film with the audience. And, you know, the, the good thing about the VR cinemas is you can mute the crowd. So people have to watch the movie without disturbing you. Uh, but it doesn't stop audience reaction because everybody has a, an emoji dial. So you have like a corner dial. And when you click the emojis, you get that emoji rise from the head of your avatar. Yeah. So when you're sitting in the audience watching it, if, if uh, you know, the audience reacts to a joke or particularly loves something, you'll see all these love hearts and laughing emojis rise up from the audience, which I thought was kind of amazing. I mean, for me, watching that film like that, I was able to real-time track what people really thought. And you, you can know? actually pinpoint who got a joke and who got a joke late and who didn't get the joke. And Yeah, but it was fascinating. You, you, you'd get like 70% of the audience would put up a heart emoji and then someone would put like a sad face. Yeah. Oh, this guy, this guy doesn't like it, you know? So, you know, it was really a really fascinating experience. And, um, you know, Eric Cohn, like I said, from IndieWire came and he uh, was the host. He essentially introduced it. And I think he was dubious at first, as, as was everybody. You know, me and George, we had faith that it was going to work because we'd been prattling around with it for a few months. And we were like, this is something, you know. Okay. Uh, but I think every, everybody else was super dubious. And, uh, you know, as soon as Eric came and stood on this virtual stage, you know, he kind of said, he said something along the lines of, yeah, I feel like this is history getting made. And completely changed his opinion, completely swapped his perspective on it. I don't know what it will come of it. I mean, I can definitely see a future where what this lets us do as indie filmmakers is democratize theatrical experience. You can sell tickets for Eventbrite mm -hmm. and you can pay all these events and you know, you can essentially democratize your theatrical experience yeah. so that, you know, you can do six screenings a week, every night at a certain time, boom, that's it. People pay and come, you know, and that's, that's your cinema run. And you couldn't do that with a small budget indie film, not in today's market where, especially when the virus lifts, like then it's just going to be, we're only putting in stuff that's making money, you know? So absolutely. It's a fantastic idea. As you said, you get to reach out to so many, to so many people and it's across the world as well, because they can, mm. you're having that premiere and it's literally just saying, right, wherever you are to zone in, you can restrict who gets there. You can make it accessible to anybody. Um, one question I want to ask, and I, I, it's pretty much self-explanatory, but for me coming from a point of view where I've never experienced virtual reality before, I'm assuming, although you see the avatars around in the cinema, everything looks constructed in that virtual reality sense, the screen itself is broadcasting the movie the way it's supposed to be seen, right? So it's not, uh, it, it's not pixelated. It's not the, the quality of the, the, the filming or the film itself on the screen is as if you're watching the film itself. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. There's no, you're not watching a low res copy. You're not watching a, an altered version. It's a film on a cinema screen that is what it is yeah you know and um yeah and it all depends on the viewer's glasses i mean if they want to if 
you know, they, they want to downgrade their visuals for internet purposes. And of course the film quality goes down with it, yeah. but anybody running like an Oculus go turned right up a quest or, you know, something like a Rift or a Samsung or HTC Vive, they're going to be getting a 4k movie basically. Yeah. So it, I mean, so far you're right. This may be the start of something uh, like something historic. This is, uh, you, and as this is the first movie to ever have done that, uh, mm. you are at the precipice of either either this being the next, like the the uh, the, you know, the MP3 uh, introduction, uh, or it could then turn around to be the next uh, 3D slash um, mini yeah. version or whatever. But you know, it's it, it, it seems like a great idea as you've just pointed out. Any independent studio can uh, can set this up and include that in their budget and have this as a uh, as a premiere, a worldwide premiere, which be- before was only restricted to the big companies. How, how yeah. long how long do you think it'll take before someone like Disney or uh, you know or the, one of the bigger uh, massive companies like Sony decides to step into this this remit and do that? Uh, literally now, Paramount just brought a company called Big Screen. Um, which is virtual reality cinema. Uh, at the moment, that's limited to, like, you can go in there and you can buy Paramount's back catalogue. So they've never premiered anything in there, but they, you can sure as hell see that they are aware of where this is going. And, uh, you know, which is why they're investing in it. But, you know, you can start a, a party in big screen. Let's say you want to watch Alien with, you know, eight of your friends and they're all over the place. You can all meet at this VR cinema that you've set up quite a bit like this Zoom meeting. And you can watch Alien on a IMAX screen on board a spaceship. So if you look up, you're actually on a spaceship flying, but it just happens that the cinema is on there. So there's, it's, it's a very unique experience. I think that where I see the future of it is like a layer over the top of what we've traditionally got. I mean, I don't think casual movie fans, for now at least, will be jumping over to it. But for, for film fans... Uh, VR is a superior experience because, you know, there's none of that. VR is built around the concept of you talking to strangers, Yeah. you know. And so watching a movie with them in virtual reality, you know, everybody there wants to spend two hours hanging around afterwards dissecting what they've just seen. And so for mil- movie fans themselves who... who you know, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm tired of message boards. I'm tired of just seeing Rotten Tomatoes and IMDb only full of trolls, only full of people who don't like everything, you know. Yeah. It seems like, you know, in cinemas themselves, when, you know, when I was younger, I used to feel cinemas were a place where you could loiter around and talk movies with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they've, they've become... There are some independent ones that still very much like that. A good friend of mine, Tom Law, runs the Electric Cinema in Birmingham. Uh, an incredible independent... Uh, cinema with that old school vibe to it you know where you're almost encouraged to hang around and chat to people you know in in the bar area but the biggest cinema chains they're not like that now they're machines it's like get you in get you out you know as fast as it can and and for for serious film fans there's not really anywhere left for you to go apart from the odd subreddit board and i think virtual reality will become this new layer to, to stuff where i can see places like odeon cineworld having their own virtual reality cinemas too and you can buy tickets there. You can choose to go to the cinema or you can choose to go to the cinema in virtual reality from home, I, I think is what will happen. Of course, that makes sense. That makes absolute sense. Uh, so for those people who were not able to attend the premiere, don't have an Oculus Rift or Oculus Go to be able to watch them, how can they watch the movie now? I'm sure it's out, right? Yeah, yeah the movie's out now. So we, we did premiere um, simultaneously online for a platform called Bird Box. Um, and then it was exclusive to them for that day. 
Uh, and then it came out live, Amazon, iTunes, uh, PlayStation, Xbox, Roku, all the, all the normal all the normal suspects, uh, you know, so yeah, it's out there now. It's on Sky store. So it's kind of cool. Always cool for me when I, you know, I've had Sky for years, always cool when I see one of my films appear on there and I'm like, that, that's, that's pretty cool. So, so, so the ascent is currently on uh, sky store is uh, on iTunes. Go watch it. Check it out. Let's move on to the next film. You're listening to shoot the breeze on resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Akko. And I'm a quiet Producer Dave, but I've got a real uh, quick question about uh, VR. Yeah, Tom. Um, one of the things I, I, that taken me was um, a comment you made. If you want a really good experience, it depends on the cost of the VR um, set that you're using. And I've just been looking up the cost of VR sets, and the cheapest one I found was near enough 150 quid. Yeah. So. When you say it's going to democratize, I mean, that's, it's not going to democratize until the price comes down. Don't you agree? Yeah, but this is always the case. I mean, that Oculus Go a year ago would have set you back 280 quid. It's now 150. You know, in the years, and in the years to come, I can see having one of these headsets, it will be similar to owning a mobile phone. You know, it's one of these items that you, that you have to have as opposed to, you know, buying it for the sake of having something. And I mean, if you think about uh, buying a 150 you know, pound Oculus Go, well, you know, in terms, if you're someone like me who travels a lot or is constantly in hotel rooms and all this stuff, you know, when you own that, you can watch the Netflix app and you can, you can have your own 120 inch portable TV with you everywhere you go. Right. You know, so it's, it's actually, a, it's, it becomes one of these things where, when you when you cost up the experience of what you get from it, as opposed to how much it costs you, you end up going, well, that's actually super cheap. Has been has <laughs> been the experience I've had. But again, I, I can see that coming down in price, and I can see mobile phones starting to. We saw it, we, you know, with the idea of Samsung, you know, inserting your phone into your headsets and that. And uh, I can see, you know, ten years from down the line, those two things, you know, just being interchangeable and mergeable, you know, in that sense. So. I also see um, you mentioned mobile phones. Gaming as well is going to be a, a huge part because there's a large gaming community out there who will basically jump at the uh, you know the the uh, the latest um, you know, mode of communication, latest mode of gaming, etc. Who will be pushing this VR because they that's pretty much where I've heard about Oculus and and so on from gamers and they're the ones their community they can spread that around as well. They would be. Yeah, it's fun. It's funny you say that because I had this discussion recently with someone, and I think I seem to be in this other camp where I think that actually virtual reality it, it enhances most experiences you have online, except for gaming. It, you know, I think I see gaming as one of these experiences where, again, I can see virtual reality coming into play for things like live EA sports events, where you're sitting in an audience watching that game play out. Um, but where virtual reality and where it's not really been tapped into yet, and I think where people don't realize the real power of it, it's in social media, it's in networking. You know, if you think people got addicted to typing what they think on Facebook or, you know, 140 characters on Twitter, like, wait till you experience standing in a park with 300 people from all over the world and you can just talk to them. You just go over and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, 
like anybody that's shy, anybody that has issues with, you know, communicating in the real world, all of that vanishes inside virtual reality. And I was reading a report the other day where it, even people who suffer, suffer with things like stammers and stutters don't seem to experience it whilst in VR because they, the barrier between them and actually being near the person seems to vanish. So it, I think the social media aspect, once people start to realize that angle, that is when VR will explode. And then things like cinema and gaming all plug into that, I think. Exactly, exactly. Uh, uh, Dave, another question before, you want to, before we move on to G-Lock? Yeah, let's go to G-Lock. Let's go to G-Lock. So um, we've moved on from the ascent. Tom Payton, what is G-Lock? So G-Lock is my fifth movie. It's a space adventure uh, about a guy called Bram Marshall, played by Stephen Moyer from True Blood. And he is living on a dying earth. The, there's a second ice age incoming. Everything's starting to freeze. But uh, 32 years ago, a, a gate arrived above Earth's orbit. No one knows where or why. But when you go through it, it's a bit like a stargate. When you go through it, there's another Earth-like planet waiting for you. The only difference is for every one year that goes by on Earth, 18 years go by on the other side. So for the first set of immigrants that left through the gates 32 years ago, uh, now it's 584 years later and it's their descendants on the other side. So Bram finds himself going through 32 years after that. And when he gets there, he finds out that they, uh, they don't want any more immigrants surviving. So you very much end up with a sort of a America style situation where, you know, it's a planet built on immigration that's, that's ironically decided it doesn't want anybody else arriving. And so the whole film is really Bran's journey to teaming up with somebody from Rhea and then both sort of dealing with their prejudices to help each other out in a pretty bad situation. Yeah, the last time you were in the studio with us, you talked about it and you, you mentioned you have uh, Stephen Moyer in, in the film. You also have Casper um, uh, Van Dien in the film. Yeah. Uh, you have jo is it um, uh, John, John uh, Reese Davis, yeah. John Reese Davis as well, as well as some other casts of uh, you know friends of the show as well. Uh, you have Toby Osmond on it as well. You got Alana Wallace and some some of your cast of regulars that keep popping up. Shane Ward is in it as well. Yeah, um, we got Tar Tar Tarla Gubia is one is one of the leads in it as well. She was um, recently in McDonald and Dobbs on. Um, ITV is like one of their big shows this year, so she's she's the lead alongside Stephen Moyer. Excellent. So, uh, so this is uh, you now have this. It's now completed. The trailer dropped uh, a couple of weeks ago. We're going to link that trailer to the show notes of the podcast that comes out on Monday. Um, how, tell us what was the what was the what was it like working with uh, with Stephen Moyer and John Rhys Davis? I mean, those people who know John Rhys Davis from Lord of the Rings, uh, people fans of True Blood. The first time I really remember Stephen Moyer was True Blood, even though I'd seen him in some other things before. And then for what, seven years, I was stuck with this character and, you know, he became yeah. part of my life, if you will, because I was a real big fan of, of True Blood. Um, what was it like working with those, with, with heavyweights like that? I mean, obviously, Casper. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's funny. Well, first of all, Stephen is one of the uh, nicest blokes I've ever met, hands down, you know, and, and a real pleasure to work with. I mean... There was, I was slightly intimidated at first because he's a very talented director in, in his own right. Um, and, yeah, you know, he directed some of the episodes of, uh, of Flack with, um, with his wife? Gilbert? Yeah, so, yeah, Anna Paquin's his wife. Yeah. They've, got, they've got kids together and stuff. I mean, yeah, he's just a really great guy. And, you know, he, I never once felt he was stepping on my toes in any respect. It was always super collaborative, uh, you know. 
uh, whenever he has ideas, they tend to be worth listening to, you know, and it was just a real pleasure to, to direct somebody like that. And Casper um, was great as well. I mean, Casper, for that character, I wrote on to the casting agent, oh, someone like Casper Van Dien. And then they came back a few days later and were like, so Casper says he'll do it. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that was, uh, that was interesting. And then John Reese davis joined the project. He's got the same manager as Casper. And John is, um, John is the most, the most larger-than-life guy I've ever met. You know, what you expect you're going to get with John Reese davis this is what you get, you know. Uh, but, you know, it was funny because we sort of started out, like, fairly rocky with each other. But by the end of shooting, we, like, just loved each other. Just a super lovely guy. And he contributes something to the movie that um, really makes it a lot better. I mean, he's opinionated. He says what he thinks. Uh, you know, he doesn't have any filter. But, you know, he... he he gave the movie something that I don't think would have been there without him. And uh, it was funny. We all just did uh, San Diego Comic-Con together like this over Zoom for, for a panel for those guys, which is coming out on the 25th of July. Um, and it was so nice to sort of, you know, metaphorically all be back in the room with them and, uh, and nice to see that we all still liked each other. That's excellent. <laughs> uh, when, when is G-Lock coming out? So G-Lock is released on August the 11th uh, in the US and shortly after in the UK. It's coming out via Lionsgate. You can check out all the links and stuff via their Lionsgate homepage. So. That's fantastic. We'll also get that link and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. I'm David Campbell. It's changing his name back from uh, producer day. Yeah. I, I just very quick question just popped into my head. Are you going to do a VR... Um, Premier with that one as well. Well, that one is with Lionsgate, so you know there's a certain uh, etiquette to the way they do things. But potentially uh, for the UK side of things, we'll look at it. I think that the uh, virtual reality stuff is something that we'll 100% be doing for 400 bullets, which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a minute. Which is what we're going to move on to, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but with the Lionsgate thing, you know, those guys have got a way of doing stuff, and you know, they're the what the fourth largest studio on the planet. So when it comes to them with that one, I sort of tend to just shut up and go. Whatever you guys, whatever you guys think. <laughs> so we, we've got Tom, we've got Tom Payton, filmmaker, prolific filmmaker, prolific British filmmaker. I've said this numerous times. You're the Roger, you're the British Roger Corman, essentially. I'll take, yeah, yeah, I like that. <laughs> in, the, in the space of five years, you've come out with five films, which those people who are in filmmaking know that that is quite a feat because... We, we, we spoke, me and George were talking about this the other day because I think... Even we forget, you know, it's like we were like, oh, you know, we've done six films in six years. And then one, I can't remember which one of us was like, hold on, we need to do the maths doesn't add up there. Yeah. And we were like, uh, actually, we shot Pandorica. Uh, we wrapped on the 2nd of October 2015. Mm. So it hasn't even been five years. Yeah. So we were like, oh, right. Exactly. It's just, you just, you, you're getting it, you're done, getting the work done, you're putting it out there, you're getting a, a your, your a niche audience is building slowly and building and building to a point where you're now on, you're literally stepping on the global stage, which is excellent. Love to hear that. Um, Thanks, let, let's move on to your next project, which is 400 Bullets. So tell us what 400 Bullets is and tell us what state you, you have in it. So 400 Bullets is my first foray completely away from sci-fi and horror. Um, the movie is about uh, a Gurkha soldier called Rana, and he is stationed at a sort of outpost with, a, with one other guy. The rest of the platoon are off uh, keeping a road safe because the elections are coming up in Afghanistan. It's northern Afghanistan, so it's winter, it's brutally cold, it's, it's dark all the time, and... Uh, 
essentially, this, uh, another British soldier comes running into camp injured, asking for help, carrying a, a case of missile chips because his own squad have gone rogue and are trying to sell the missiles on the black market. And he's managed to escape with them. And now it's up to Rana and this guy Noah, played by Andrew Lee Potts, to essentially protect the missile case, missile chips for the rest of the evening until backup comes. But they've only got 400 bullets to do it with, basically. Yeah, a lot of people would know um, Andrew Lee Potts from films, from TV shows such as The Crown, um, from uh, uh, there's there's the other one he did. But Primeval was the big Primeval, that's the show, one. Yeah. Yes, uh, it was, that was the one that stuck in my head. Uh, yeah, so it, it's it's great to see that you're actually now adventuring. You're you're adventuring out of uh, of sci-fi. Love sci-fi, and I know you're a lot of the stuff that you work has a um, oh, what's the, there's a term for it, which is about this this guy that wrote about monsters. I keep forgetting. It always comes into my head, and whenever I need to say it, it disappears. <laughs> uh, it's not Lynch. It's um, oh, it, it, I, it'll come to me later on. Um, it, we, 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 you, you focus a lot on monsters because there were the, the, yeah, I do a lot. I have always said that I feel my movies are survival films. Is what I focus on. They're always about a group of characters uh, who are like thrust into it, like an overnight or a couple of days of a situation. You know, there's, there's no time for romance. There's no time for chilling out. There's just, uh, you know, it's just a full-on experience for the characters. And that's kind of the movies that I think that I, I make. And, and The 400 Bullets does very much fit into that. It's a survival film. It just, doesn't, it just doesn't have any of those, uh, you know, science fiction elements to it. Lovecraftian. That's what I was trying to, I was trying to ah, say. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, there's that. Well, it, it's funny. I was uh, chatting about this recently on, an, on another podcast. Um, but I kind of see, I'm kind of doing this thing where, like, I see Redwood, uh, The Ascent, and Black Sight as my sort of Lovecraft trilogy, if you will. They're all, they've all got these Lovecraftian overtones. And then Pandorica and G-Lock belong to my sort of post-apocalyptic trilogy. And I have a third one planned for that. And all, you'll see a through line between those three. And then this one I see as the start of my uh, military survival trilogy, which I'm doing the second one of uh, shooting, hopefully, this October, it looks like. Virus well, of course. Uh, so with um, 400 bullets, you're in post-production now so that you're looking. Um, it, it, uh, I know we're, um, yes, I know Zoom, Zoom is popping up and saying, you have 10 minutes. That's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, so just with 400 bullets, you've got that ready to go uh, in, in maybe July next time. So next year is where we'll be. No. So we do know uh, you'll be seeing 400 bullets probably December this year. It's looking oh, like wow. we've been, we've been, We've been fast-tracked ahead because of the virus. There's a big hole in the market, a lot of, lot of stuff missing. Uh, and, you know, 400 Bullets feels like the kind of movie that you would want to sit around on a Friday evening in winter and drink a few beers and have a good time with. It's a very full-on action movie. Lots of, lots of great fight sequences. Um, we've got Jean-Paul Lee in the lead, who is just, like, he is the next big thing in action. Like, I guarantee it. You know, a few years from now, like we'll all be going holy hell like i can't believe i got that guy in a movie i mean he's that he's that talented um and yeah the movie's just a really good time but yeah look out for this december it's looking like december january maybe for uk but us definitely december asia definitely december excellent so december and then uh, and you want to start shooting sort of your part two to the um the war trilogy in october obviously yes. with the virus. Now you've got your studios uh, is uh, Mosley, Mosley Studios. Is that correct? That's, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. And you're based in Coventry. Now yeah. uh, we've recently had some news uh, about lockdown, especially in Leicester where uh, Leicester's pretty much gone back into lockdown and Coventry is pretty close to lockdown. 
how has COVID really affected? And I, I asked this question to every um, filmmaker that's come on, everyone is involved. How has COVID affected your work? Well, I mean, I've been very fortunate in that it hasn't affected my work yet because we wrapped production on 400 Bullets in December. We wrapped post-production on G-Lock in January. So, you know, and then post-production has been able to carry on uh, behind closed doors. But, you know, for a lot of independent, my, my concern is where do we go from here? You know, how, how willing will investors be to risk putting money up into a movie that could be shut down halfway through filming is the concern I think we all have. And, you know, and also there's the, those workarounds, like how is insurance going to work? I mean, if you're a big Hollywood film, it doesn't matter. You know, you can pay it as much as it costs to get that insurance to be back up and filming. You know, and actors, you know, if they catch the virus, well, so what, they'll just do you. But on an independent film, like we don't, we don't have the, those luxuries, you know. Like, what are we going to do? Are actors going to sign waivers? Do we have to tail, tailor stories so that they're completely, uh, you know, in, in a situation where... Well, you just have to pay for the insurance. You have to come up with stories where your characters are wearing masks. Like, what do you do? Like, how do we go forward from this? And I'm of, the, I'm of a strange opinion, perhaps a controversial one, where I, my opinion on it is, well, prior to COVID-19, I wasn't asked, you know, well, how many of your crew members have got the TB job? I didn't go around checking people's arms. That wasn't on the question sheet. You know, I, like, I, I see the virus being contracted on set is force majeure, like any other virus that we would have caught but whether the insurance companies will see it that way is a totally different story so who knows man okay quick question for you you've talked about um g-lock that's the next film that's due to be out what's the plan going forward how many other films have you got locked in and when do you think you'll be able to start those well, I mean, I've got one. I've got one locked in. I've got a sequel to Four Hundred Bullets too, uh, as well, because it looks like it's going to be the first film where the demand is there for the next one that I've done. Um, but I mean, I have a full slate of pictures. I mean, I could be shooting movies for the next like six years, really comfortably, and I'm always coming up with new stuff. I'm very reactive. But in terms of what we do about the again, it's 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 hard to predict. You know, I'm very much a person who believes in, uh, you know we've all got the right to do what, what, what needs to be done to look after our own. And I think that we're not necessarily living in that country right now or, or the world for that matter in terms of what this virus is doing and how it's affecting people's workloads. So I don't know is the honest question. I don't know what happens to us. Like, I don't know how people uh, keep paying their bills. I don't know how they keep doing these things until we get some more clarity on, on when's the vaccine coming? Is it ever coming? So I guess in some respects, we're, we're sort of, we're in the Wild West here a little bit and we're just saying, well, you know, who wants to work and who doesn't? Who's, who's, who wants, you know, it's up, to, it's up to the individual, I guess, to decide whether they're going to brave it out there or not, I think is where we're heading, isn't it? And uh, how that affects work and how that affects what actors do, affordability of the projects is kind of up in the air right now, I guess. Okay, so perfect world, no virus and... Yeah. <laughs> You're doing, you've done your part two, 400 bullets. What would be next? I have, uh, well, I have, I have a, a movie called Fire Sale that I'm working on, which is currently titled that, it might change, uh, which is military action, and then 400 bullets two as well. Um, but I've also got uh, a psychological horror, um, which I'm talking with Stephen Moyer about looking at, uh, which is very Kubrick-esque. It's, very, it's a you know, very sort of dark film set in the Antarctic. Uh, so we'll see what happens with that one. And then I've also got a, a 
post-apocalyptic action film, which will sort of finalize my, my red box apocalypse, if you will. I have this thing where all my films that are in the apocalypse feature a red box of some description and I have a third one uh, in mind. So th those would be the immediate movies that I'm looking at, I think. Okay. Is, is it stupid that I'm hoping the title of the sequel to 400 Bullets is 402 Bullets? <laughs> we're toying about, yeah, well, we were going to go with 400 Bullets round two. I thought it was kind of clever. <laughs> but uh, we'll see. I don't know. You, you never know. I think it, the movie itself has got this sort of like very uh, 90s broken arrow face-off style tone to it, you know, and... Uh, I kind of like that those sequels have all got ridiculous subtitle names like Retaliation or Vengeance and stuff yeah. like that. I never thought I'd make a film like that, but, you know, I've got a good sense of humour, so who knows? <laughs> Excellent. Uh, you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Akko. I'm back to producer Dave. Yeah. Producer Dave. Uh, <laughs> and we, we've been talking with uh, the prolific British filmmaker Tom Payton, who has told us about The Ascent, G-Lock, and 400 Bullets, as well as how he's dealing with COVID. Uh, Tom, if anybody wants to reach you on social media, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, it's just at Tom Payton Film uh, on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So, yeah, just at Tom Payton Film. And, uh, yeah, check out The Ascent, which is out now on Sky Store and Amazon iTunes. And look out for G-Lock this summer, August 11th. And that was Tom Payton. Uh, it, honestly, that we we need to increase the length of the episodes that we're doing because, uh, you know, when we get him back in, because he can talk for hours and I could happily ask him questions for, for hours and days on end. Um, uh, anyway, we're not doing a top five this week because obviously we gave a lot of that time to Tom Payton and to uh, Alastair Mackay talking about Anonymous. Uh, we'll have both filmmakers in the studio as soon as this lockdown is lifted. Um, but yeah, so we're not going to have top five this week, but don't worry. Everything will go back to normal next week when we start talking top five. Maybe we want to talk top five favorite Spike Lee movies. Uh, Producer Dave, what do you think? That sounds like a good idea to me. Sounds definitely like a good idea to me. L Laura, what do you think? I've watched about five Spike Lee movies. <laughs> I've watched Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I have. I've, wa I've watched more than five movies. Five movies. <laughs> but don't yeah. forget, he's done documentaries as well. Of course, you can you can include that as well. And TV shows. He's done a t couple of TV shows as well. Definitely so TV shows, yeah. Yeah, so we can do that as well as uh, tie it with, the, uh, with our discussion of The Five Bloods, which is Spike Lee's latest film on Netflix. Um, also, I want to give one final shout out to uh, John Alexander and JC Guest's film, this is love which is on vimeo on demand or vimeo pro whichever option it is go on their uh, on their page they have they've got a facebook page uh, this is love film uh, it's also the same on instagram this is love film where they have the links to their vimeo account it's only on there this weekend for 48 hours so go check out the film it's a great film i'm planning on watching it again this weekend as well as binge watching penny dreadful city of angels but yeah anyway uh, we're short on time. I just want to say to everybody, you've been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I've been Marcus E. Akko. I've been Laura Sampson. And I've been David Campbell. Saying thank it you very much. Pretty <laughs> Dave. Saying thank you all very much for listening. See you next week. Bye. Don't forget to stay safe because although they're lifting stuff, you know, it's fine. It's yeah, whatever. Definitely stay safe. Yeah, yeah. Don't want to get sick and whatever. Definitely. All right. Bye.